Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Every year on this day, we'll inevitably see the vision of two planes being deliberately flown into New York's Twin Towers as we mark another year passing from that horrific terror attack. But among the 2,977 people who lost their lives that day, 10 of them were our fellow Aussies, whose relatives watch on every year as they replay the moment their loved one died. Today, we're going to find out who those people were and talk to the man who helped coordinate our response, former Foreign Minister Alexander Downer. It's hard to believe that the September 11 terror attack happened nearly 20 years ago today. Many of us can recall being woken up by a friend or family member who were up late enough to catch a news report that something big was happening at the World Trade Centre in New York. We sat in front of our TVs, the live broadcast making us front row spectators as the second plane hit and then as those towers came crashing to the ground. Eyewitness reports believe it was a kamikaze act from the pilot where he deliberately aligned himself Goodness me, I'm sorry. You can see there the second tower, it does appear, may well have been collapsing. It does appear that that it has collapsed. While this day marks a very American tragedy, there were people from nearly 100 countries who lost their lives on September 11, 2001. Ten of those were Australians. 66-year-old Alberto Dominguez was born in Uruguay but called Lidcombe in New South Wales home. He'd worked for SBS Radio as a Spanish-language broadcaster but had switched to work for Qantas as a baggage handler and was nearing retirement. He'd flown to the US with his wife to visit her sister who was ill and had planned to return on September 10 but decided to delay his return to Australia by one day. That decision would see him board American Airlines Flight 11 out of Boston on September 11 that plane would be the first to be hijacked. 37-year-old Sydney man Craig Gibson was working for Marsh & McLennan, an insurance company based on the 94th floor of the World Trade Centre. The plane, which held Mr Dominguez, hit the North Tower between floors 93 and 99. Elisa Farena, a 27-year-old also from Sydney, was on the 106th floor, attending a financial technology conference being held by the company she worked for, Risk Waters Group. Steve Thompson, an IT expert also from Sydney, was at that same conference, being held in the windows of the World Restaurant. On the 105th floor, Leslie Ann Thomas had just arrived for her workday as a broker and trader for Cantor Fitzgerald. The 40-year-old was from the New South Wales Central Coast. Down on the 101st floor, Kevin Dennis, a 43-year-old broker from the Gold Coast, had also made it to work on time. Two floors above him, 29-year-old Adelaide man Andrew Knox was working as an environmental architect 
When the plane hit, he managed to get onto the phone with his twin brother, Stuart. Stuart says his brother was on a ledge telling him he couldn't breathe when the phone dropped out. He comforts himself with the knowledge that he wouldn't have been alive when the tower collapsed. In a weird twist of fate, Stuart wouldn't be the only one to lose a twin that day. When the second plane hit the South Tower between floors 77 and 85, 44-year-old twin Peter Galavery from Geelong was already at his desk, working as an environmental architect for Washington Group International. He was on the 91st floor and was last seen on the stairwell of the 78th. His body was found buried in the rubble 10 weeks later. Another Aussie, Leanne Whiteside, a 31-year-old lawyer from Melbourne, had not long started her job in the World Trade Centre for AON Insurance. Her company took up floors 98 to 105. One more Aussie would lose their life that day. 62-year-old Red Cross coordinator Yvonne Kennedy from Sydney. She'd just boarded a plane at the end of her holiday. She'd gifted herself the trip to mark her retirement. She reportedly gave her son her itinerary when she left, joking it was in case the terrorists got her. Her plane would crash into the Pentagon. I had mum's itinerary with me, so uh, she left that with me. She always was very vigilant at doing that sort of thing. She was always a, yeah, just in case something happens kind of person. My brother started quoting flight numbers that were coming across on the news there, and uh, I was looking through those, and I said, look, she's supposed to be boarding a flight today in Washington from Dulles Airport. So that's Flight 77, American Airlines Flight 77. Uh, and at that stage, I hadn't seen the news. And he said, that sounds kind of familiar. He said, I think that could be one of them. So that started, you know, a pretty, a pretty tough night, to, to say the least. 10 Australian lives among the nearly 3,000 from more than 90 countries across the world. Ten Australian families who have watched the footage of the moment their loved one died on this day every year since. So what was it like to be the one in charge of letting those families know that their loved ones wouldn't be coming home? Alexander Downer was the foreign minister when those planes struck the World Trade Centre. Mr Downer, what do you remember from that night? How did it all unfold for you? Well, I remember it quite distinctly because I was at home and I was watching CNN and I could just see the, the scene. It was just after the first plane had gone into one of the uh, Twin Towers. And I just watched it for a while. And then when it all became obvious that it was a great catastrophe, we got all our children out of bed. And all six of us sat around just watching the TV. And then over and above that, there was work to be done. John Howard was away and John Anderson was the acting prime minister. So John Anderson and I had several telephone conversations, but the main thing was to work with DFAT and get DFAT to activate its consular emergency, which, you know, it obviously automatically did, and to do all we could to try to look after Australians in the US who might in one way or another be affected, and obviously we didn't know how many would be. Do you remember what the discussions were like between you and your colleagues In Canberra, when all of this was happening and unfolding in the days after, was there a sense of urgency, a sense of fear? Do you remember what was going on? Perhaps a sense of urgency because what we know now, we didn't know then, was this the beginning of a whole series of attacks in terms of what the Al-Qaeda people wanted had been very successful and did they have all sorts of other attacks lined up in other cities around the world? 
So there was obviously a national security response. And John Howard, he was in Washington at the time. He flew back. We activated the ANZUS Alliance, which John Howard and I agreed to do when I was in the Mount Barker Council. And John Howard rang from a plane from Air Force Two flying over the US. So we had a National Security Committee meeting of the Cabinet the Monday of the following week. And there were all sorts of measures that we took then. At the time, I mean, I know you've mentioned that there was sort of a fear that this would change the world and there may be more to come and that it didn't quite unfold in the way you thought. Are you referencing the fact that the Bali bombings happened just some 13 months later? Did that feel more like a direct attack on us than September 11 did? Oh, of course, because nearly 200 Australians were killed. I mean, hundreds of Australians were involved. And, of course, there's geographic proximity. And we had to initiate the international response to the Bali bombing. Whereas in the case of 9-11 and the attacks in the United States, obviously the Americans had all of that. I mean, there was nothing physically we could do in New York or in Washington or in Pennsylvania where people were killed. Whereas in the case of the Bali bombing, yes, we had to send people straight up to Bali immediately. And I went up there within a couple of days, not only to Bali, but from Bali on to Jakarta. So it was very different. When you come in such close contact with major events, especially tragic ones like September 11 or the Bali bombings, as the foreign minister, does that change you? Does that stay with you over the years when you experience those things? particularly for the people directly affected, it certainly stays with you. And there are moments in these situations which can be very emotional. The important thing, let me make this point, the important thing to say is as the foreign minister, when you're with the bereaved in particular, it's not about you, it's about them. And you've got to control your own emotions and concentrate on them. With the 20-year anniversary of September 11 coming up next year, what do you think the legacy is of that event? There was what George W. Bush called the war on terror. There was a heightened effort to counter these terrorist groups. And on average, it has been quite successful. But it's not going to change anything. I mean, those Islamic extremist groups terminated people's lives and created grief and destruction. It's cruel. And it saddens many people, but they didn't change anything. Perhaps you can argue that by this terror attack not really changing our culture or who we are, we've successfully fought against what they were designed to do. That even though terror attacks on this scale cause immediate fear and anger, we managed to hold on to our way of life despite it. But while the rest of us move on and the memory of September 11 moves further into the past, there's always going to be 10 Aussie families who'll never be allowed to forget. This episode of The Quickie was produced by Melanie Tate with audio production by Ian Camilleri. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. 
We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.